Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Bi-Weekly Geopolitical Report for March 20th, 2023. China appears to be emerging every day as a greater military threat to the United States. We may be looking at a deepening arms race that not only elevates U.S. security concerns, but also creates new boundaries for investors. Confluence market strategist Patrick Fearon Hernandez has been following China's military emergence for some time now, and this week published a paper outlining China's military progress in just the past two years. Patrick, I looked at some of the numbers and I found them sobering. How would you describe them? Well, hi, Phil. Thanks for having me on the show. As I'm sure we'll explore further, I think the report provides evidence that China isn't just becoming a stronger, more aggressive geopolitical rival to the U.S. It's becoming a much more dangerous military threat as well. China's massive military buildup and its plan to displace the U.S. as the world's strongest armed force has largely been hidden up until now, in large part because its efforts have until now been focused on its own region. Now, however, it's becoming increasingly clear that China is intent on making its military the strongest in the world with the ability to project force globally and push the U.S. into a subordinate position. Globalists and economic elites and pacifists may pin their hopes on the slightest signs of detente between the U.S. and China, but those are likely to be false hopes. As China's military buildup becomes clearer and clearer, it will ensure that U.S.-China tensions continue to spiral and put investors at risk. Patrick, is the data your report based on trustworthy? Much of the data in my report comes from the U.S. Defense Department's 2022 China Military Power Report, so it's backed up by the resources and analysis of the entire U.S. intelligence community. But much of the data also comes from a range of other government agencies, international organizations, respected think tanks and data providers, press services, and private open-source intelligence analysts. If you triangulate all the data from those sources, you get a pretty consistent picture of China rapidly developing its regional military power, starting to develop its global power projection capabilities, and threatening to displace the U.S. In my judgment, the data sources taken together are trustworthy. Well, let's look at some of the particulars. Does China's superior manpower and economic strength allow its military to expand disproportionately and relatively painlessly to the United States? Well, that's a big part of the story. As of right now, China has the world's largest population, and even though the population is starting to decline, it still allows China to field many more troops than the U.S. can. If you adjust for the purchasing power of China's currency, the country also has the world's largest economy, meaning it has lots of resources available to invest in its military. In fact, it's currently spending only about 1.7% of its growth gross domestic product on its armed forces, which is below the standard that the U.S. is trying to get the rest of NATO to match. China's current defense burden is also far below the 10% of GDP or so, where the defense burden starts to become an economic problem, based on an analysis that we did at the CIA when I was a junior intelligence analyst early in my career, in the waning days of the Cold War. And of course, remember that China has also gained a formidable technological toolkit over time. 
time. So yes, China could pour even more of its resources into the military to compete with any military reinvestment by the U.S. and its allies. How can the United States counter these Chinese advantages in manpower and economies? Well, that gets into U.S. and Allied strategy, much of which is kept under wraps, uh, as it should be. Nevertheless, some elements of it are already clear. For example, the current U.S. administration has focused heavily on rebuilding and strengthening its alliances with other liberal democracies, including Japan, South Korea, Australia, New Zealand, the Philippines, India, the European Union, the U.K., and others. This is part of the fracturing of the world into relatively separate geopolitical and economic blocks, which we've been writing about extensively. The U.S. is also boosting its own defense spending and cutting China off from the advanced technologies that Beijing would like to use against us, and it's encouraging our allies to do the same. The U.S. and its allies are also changing the kinds of weapons we buy and how our military forces operate. For example, the U.S. Marine Corps has given up its tanks and heavy artillery and is now planning to fight against China in the Indo-Pacific where it will deploy small teams with anti-ship missiles to the many islands in the region and basically become ship killers. Patrick, you make the case in your report that U.S. military assets are spread across the globe, while China is more focused on the Pacific and Taiwan, giving itself an advantage in those areas. Will U.S. military strategy be forced to recalibrate to better counter the Pacific threat? Well, this is going to be a challenge. After all, if the U.S. concentrated more of its current military force to the Indo-Pacific region, it would have to reduce some of its forces in the Middle East and Europe. It's already pivoted some forces out of the Middle East, but that's already helped unsettle relations with Israel and Saudi Arabia. With Russia's invasion of Ukraine, it's now clear that it would be dangerous to move forces from Europe to Asia. Because of that, I suspect the growing threat from China would have to be met with a big boost to U.S. and allied military budgets and force expansion. To reiterate what we've been arguing for some time now, it seems certain that the U.S. and its allies will be spending much more on defense in the coming years, creating opportunities for investors in defense industry and related industries. Well, let's dig down into the numbers a little bit. Beginning with naval forces, has the makeup of the Chinese Navy changed in the past two years? China has had the world's largest navy now for several years, but its total battle force has fallen by 10 ships to a total of 340 from the 350 estimated by the Defense Department two years ago. However, that declines only because China's navy transferred 22 older frigates to its Coast Guard. Many of those transferred frigates were replaced with newer, more modern ships. In fact, China has continued replacing older, less capable vessels with newer, more powerful ones in many categories. But I think the big story is that China is aggressively increasing its inventory of large, 
powerful ocean-going vessels like aircraft carriers, cruisers, and ballistic missile submarines. Up until now, China's navy has focused on defending its nearby waters in the South China Sea, the East China Sea, and the Taiwan Strait, and deterring the U.S. Navy from intervening in any crisis surrounding Taiwan. That's its famed anti-access area denial, or A2AD, strategy. The buildup of bigger vessels shows how China's navy is now transitioning to become a blue water navy that can project power globally. Let's turn to uh, air power. Has the Chinese Air Force advanced to a level where, I don't know, a successful strike on the U.S. is plausible? China's Air Force is certainly large and growing, and it now has the most planes of any Air Force in its region. And its inventory of planes and helicopters is becoming more advanced. All the same, the U.S. retains a much larger inventory of aircraft worldwide. Perhaps more interesting, China has now produced a version of its long-range bomber that can carry nuclear weapons. That means it now once again has a viable triad of nukes. In other words, ground-launched, sea-launched, and air-launched. How about rocketry and nuclear capabilities? Is there cause for alarm? Yeah, there's a similar dynamic going on there. Up to now, China's maintained a relatively small strategic nuclear force of maybe 100 to 200 weapons that could hit the U.S., and it espoused a no-first-use policy. China has focused much more on building up a huge force of shorter-range conventional missiles that could help keep the U.S. out of any Taiwan conflict, again, consistent with its A2AD strategy. Over the last couple of years, however, it's been discovered that China is now rapidly building up its force of long-range intercontinental ballistic missiles. Those are the nuclear-armed missiles that could strike the U.S. mainland. China still doesn't have enough nuclear weapons to ensure a successful strike on the U.S., but it is becoming a much more serious threat, and that's likely to draw some kind of U.S. response at some point. Cyber warfare capabilities are now an essential part of any country's military arsenal. Has competition on this front changed in the past two years? Cyber warfare capabilities are much harder to gauge in numerical terms, like I used in this report. However, a range of reporting suggests that China continues to focus on gobbling up information and data worldwide for use in influence campaigns. It also continues to hack into foreign computer systems and conduct other types of cyber warfare or preparations for cyber warfare. Patrick, I think you've made this clear, but, but just to reiterate it and drive home a main point, would you say that overall China's goals have become more focused on offense in recent years and are likely to continue down this path? I think that's a reasonable interpretation. In any case, China clearly plans to build such a strong military that it can push back against pressure from, and dictate terms to, a foreign adversary like the U.S. Indeed, it's important to remember that President Xi has expressly ordered the Chinese military to develop to the point where it can fight and win wars against a powerful adversary, meaning the U.S. Well, in the past... Security concerns have been somewhat allayed by the existence of arms control treaties, and you make the case that that's going to be more difficult to achieve now. How have China's nuclear capabilities, both 
expanded the playing field and also muddied the waters for effective arms treaties. That's a big issue that we've introduced in this report for the first time. We expect to expand on this theme and flesh it out further in a future report. For now, suffice it to say that China's new effort to become a nuclear superpower to rival the U.S. and Russia will have huge implications for global security. For one thing, the relatively stable bipolar nuclear standoff of the Cold War was based on parity, or similar numbers of weapons on each side, and mutually assured destruction, or MAD, which meant neither side could attack the other without risking its own destruction. Parity and MAD still apply to the new START treaty between the U.S. and Russia, but Russia has apparently violated that treaty, and it looks like it could be abandoned at any point. Now, if you add China into the mix as a new third nuclear superpower, you get a tripolar world where parity and MAD may not work to deter nuclear war quite as well. In fact, the growing threat from China may make the U.S. want to break out of the New START agreement if it can't get China to join in any new arms control regime. The end result is that you could get a global nuclear arms race in the coming years. Patrick, you say in your report that the increase in tensions between China and the United States could leave investors flat-footed. Could you discuss how this could play out in unpredictable ways? Yeah, as each side becomes more concerned about the other, we're seeing more and more attempts to exercise what is, in effect, economic warfare. Each side, the U.S. and China, has been involved in restricting trade, technology flows, capital flows, and the like. And these restrictions are very hard to predict. On any given day, an investor might find that a U.S. company has been cut off from its suppliers or markets in China, or vice versa. Investors could find themselves forced to liquidate holdings in China. Risks like that could have big negative impacts on asset prices. Staying on the investment theme, could opportunities perhaps emerge in foreign markets as a result of this developing arms race? Well, as we've noted many times, we suspect that global defense industry companies are going to be in rich clover in the coming years. U.S. defense industry firms will certainly benefit, but we think U.S. investors could also benefit from exposure to the defense firms of other countries within the evolving U.S.-led geopolitical bloc. Foreign firms within our bloc are probably less likely to face the kinds of regulatory risks and restricted trade or capital flows that companies in China or its bloc will face. Do you think India could become a more attractive investment destination as the United States looks for allies? A lot of observers are already making that argument, and it may be true. I think the only caveat is that while India has been moving closer to the U.S. in recent years, mostly because it feels threatened by China, it also has long-standing trade connections with China and the rest of its bloc. So I'm optimistic about India, but the opportunities there may come a bit more sporadically than we all hope. Finally, Patrick, what other investments seem likely to benefit in this scenario? 
We continue to think that commodities will do well as geopolitical tensions increase. For one thing, we think the China bloc, which is made up largely of big commodity producers, will weaponize commodity supplies to weaken the U.S. and its bloc. That should drive up prices, especially for key mineral fuels. Another interesting opportunity might be uranium, which could benefit not only because of any global nuclear arms race, but also because nuclear energy for electricity generation produces no greenhouse gases, so it's considered a clean source of energy. All in all, Phil, it's a bad situation. I think we're clearly on the road at least towards war with China. There are still a few off-ramps down the road, but we may be going too fast to take them. The redeeming thing is that I could still be wrong. And in any case, history tells us that riches are often made in time of war or geopolitical tensions. We're doing our best to try to find what those riches might be. Thank you, Patrick. We want our listeners to know that a detailed chart comparing U.S. and Chinese military assets is available in Patrick's latest geopolitical report. Access the front page of confluenceim.com and, and look for the bi-weekly geopolitical report button near the top right of the page. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. Opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Edmund.